to uh, our sermon, we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of John. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you uh, want to grab one of the red ones nearby, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, which is on page 517 in the Red Bibles. I mentioned we're continuing our sermon series uh, through Advent. We're calling it Hope Has Come. And each week, we're uh, really asking this larger question as we look at familiar stories about the birth of Jesus. We're asking this question, who is this child? Two weeks ago, we asked that question, and we learned that in Jesus, God was declaring, I am with you. And that was such good news for us in the midst of pain and suffering. When we cry out, God, where are you? God is with us. And then last week, we looked and saw that this child was born the king of the world. And it is our duty and our privilege to come and bow before him and worship him, giving him all of ourselves. Now, this week, uh, we're going to be turning to the Gospel of John. Now, uh, you might be familiar with this, but John actually doesn't give us a story of Jesus' birth. John's Gospel is a little bit different than the others. If you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they follow very similar stories. You know, they've got all the same parables and miracles and teachings and traveling that Jesus did. And they're, they're primarily concerned with, who is this person, and what did he do? And so you'll get things like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. They, they focus on, who is this person, and what did he do? What did Jesus do? John, on the other hand, he, he's not, not concerned about what Jesus did, but he's more concerned about why Jesus did what he did. And so John's got all of these stories that are unique to his gospel, that you won't find anywhere else. And that's actually what we're going to look at in John 1. John starts his gospel not with what happened 2,000 years ago. He starts with the question, why did it happen? And as we read this story, this passage from John 1, we're going to ask, why did Jesus come into the world? And there's three answers that we're going to look at. One, Jesus came into the world so that we might know God. Two, Jesus came into the world so that God might know us. And then third, three, finally, Jesus came into the world so that we might be with him forever, that we might be his people forever. So one, why did God, why did Jesus come into the world? So that we might know God, so that God might know us, and that we might be with him forever. Let's read John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5, and then continuing in 14 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, 
He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to know your word in our hearts, and your word is your son, Jesus. So let us know him this morning through your spirit. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the very first thing, there we go, very first thing that John wants us to know about Jesus in his gospel is that in Jesus, God was making himself known. Jesus came into the world so that we might know God. Look with me at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John begins his whole story about Jesus declaring with great confidence and certainty that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus was there in the beginning. Back before anything was that would become anything. Back then when there was nothing at all. When God opened up his mouth and spoke a word, there was Jesus. He was in the beginning. He is the one through whom all life came into being. He is the creator of the universe. All things were made through him. But scripture goes one step further. Not only were all things made through him, all things now hold together in him. He sustains all things. He is the sustainer of the universe. He is the one that holds the earth as it spins around the sun. He is the one that rules over the nations of the earth. He is the one who reigns over all of creation. Jesus Christ reigns above this virus and this pandemic and the vaccine. He is the one who sustains all things together. He is the exact imprint of God Almighty. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God. He is the one through whom and for whom all things were made. Every one of us in this room, every one of our neighbors and our friends and our family members were made by him and for him. And he came into the world. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we might know him. What a great gift of grace that the God of the universe would come down and say, here I am. Come and know who I am. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus Christ has come into this world so that we might know who this God is. No longer do we have to search in vain, striving after answers to life's deep questions. God has made himself known to us. Through Jesus, we can know who God really is. Do you remember having your first crush? 
uh, back in fourth grade, I think one of my first crushes, her name was Melanie, and uh, I was very nervous about talking to her. And so, come around Valentine's Day, I had a friend deliver a note that I had written for Melanie, because I couldn't go talk to her, and you know, the note said, will you be my Valentine, yes or no, and I, I wasn't the one, I couldn't go and talk to her. But uh, I was thankful to have this middleman, this friend who could go and talk, and I was shy, and you know, I didn't actually grow out of that for a while, because in college, when I first saw Sarah, I could not muster up the courage to go talk to her either. Uh, I just thought, oh my man, I, she wouldn't talk to me. So I would, you know, I'd, I'd become friends with her friends, and then I'd ask her friends about who she was. Or I'd ask my friends to go and become friends with her, and then ask my friends about her. I just, I couldn't do it. But I wanted to know about her. I mean, I was attracted to her. I, you know, eventually over time, I built up that courage. Uh, but for a while, I could only know Sarah through someone else. I, I only knew of her sort of second hand. Uh, secondhand knowledge, this middleman had to go between Sarah and I, and it wasn't until I had that first-hand account of becoming Sarah's friend that I truly get to know who she was and enjoy her presence. For generations, God's people had only interacted with God through middlemen. Prophets were sent to deliver God's word to the people, or, or priests were risen up so that they could bring the prayers of the people before God. Even today, if you think of uh, Islam, their, their founder, the prophet Muhammad, he's only a prophet. He only claims to speak on behalf of God. Or even think of Mormons. We've got plenty of Mormon neighbors in this area. Their founder, Joseph Smith, the prophet Joseph Smith, he does not claim to be God. He claims to speak on behalf of God. But with Jesus, we have first-hand knowledge. Jesus doesn't claim to speak on behalf of God. Jesus is God. He is no middleman. He is God himself. Look, this morning, I want to say, if you're here or if you're watching at home or listening on the podcast after, and you've been struggling to know who this God might be. Maybe you grew up with some image of God as a vengeful, wrathful, you know, power-hungry guy. Or, or, or maybe you grew up with possibly a distant parent and you've projected that on God. And you've always wondered, who is this guy? Who is God? Maybe you've just questioned a lot of things and have been looking for answers this morning, I want to tell you that Christmas is an invitation to come and to know God. When we look at Jesus, we see God. When Jesus speaks, they are God's words. When Jesus acts, they are God's actions. When we go to Jesus, we can know what God is like and who he is. The heart of Jesus is the heart of God. When Jesus is angry at injustice, God is angry at injustice. When Jesus fights to get rid of oppression, we see God fighting to get rid of oppression. When we see Jesus gathering the outcasts, we see God gathering the outcasts. Jesus' heart, which is for the broken and the hurting, is God's heart. So come and meet Jesus this Christmas.
So this leads me to my second point. Jesus didn't come into the world only to let us know who God is. Jesus came into the world so that God could know who we are. That sounds a little strange, but let me clarify that for you. Jesus came into the world so that God might know who we are. Look with me at verse 14. Jesus is God. He is fully God, but he is also fully man. This is what verse 14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word, dwell, is like setting up camp. Uh, it's when someone, like, you know, establishes a home, settles down, moves into the neighborhood. Jesus took on flesh and moved in. Yes, he is fully God, but now he is fully man. He had flesh and blood. He grew up from a little child into a man. Throughout his life, he had experiences just like you and I. All the little things that we go through as human beings, Jesus also went through. Jesus was not like God wearing a mask. He was fully man and yet also fully God. One author put it this way. Jesus would wake up with bedhead. He had pimples at 13. He would never have appeared on the cover of Men's Health. No, I wouldn't either. He came as a normal man to normal men. He knows what it is to be thirsty and hungry, despised and rejected, scorned and shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed them most. Had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfriended him when he had turned 33. He, who will never unfriend us, went through it all. Jesus was fully man and experienced everything that you and I have experienced or could possibly experience. And yet, in all of that, he was without sin because he was still fully God. You know, God is pure light and in him there is no darkness at all, but that doesn't stop him from sympathizing with us. Hear what the author of uh, the book of Hebrews says about this Jesus who can identify with us. He says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because Jesus was fully man and had experienced what we've gone through, he is able to sympathize with us. Now, I've never been the best at the English language or grammar. I'm thankful that my wife edits my sermons every Saturday before I preach. Uh, but I always, as I'm preparing, have a, the dictionary up on my computer because I have to look up words all the time. And when I hit the word sympathize, I always have to think, all right, remind, remind myself again, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy? You, you know what the difference is? So I looked it up. Merriam-Webster says this. Uh, the difference between sympathy and empathy is this. In general, sympathy is when you share the feelings of another, whereas empathy is when you understand the feelings of another but do not necessarily share them. Sympathy is sharing the experience with someone, and empathy is just merely understanding what they're going through. Look, you can read books and articles. You can ask lots of good questions. You can shadow someone and follow behind them and learn a whole bunch about what they're going through. 
but you will never fully understand or comprehend what they've gone through. You will not fully be able to sympathize with someone until you go a little bit further. I love this quote from the book To Kill a Mockingbird that helps shed light on what it means to be sympathetic. So in the book, Atticus Finch, the, the father, is talking to his daughter, Scout, and he says this. If you learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of different folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from their point of view, until you climb into their skin and walk around with it. So similar to the idea of walking a mile in your shoes, Atticus is saying that you don't truly know what they're going through. You won't truly share in their experience until you get into their skin, that you become like them so that you can experience what they can experience and you can share in their sufferings. John is saying that the word of God put on flesh. He stepped into our skin. He lived among us. He doesn't just know on some ideal concept what we're going through. He's gone through it himself. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came into the world so that he might be fully man, so that he wouldn't just understand what we're going through, but would experience it himself. Isn't this crazy? When, when I first thought of this, this idea that before Jesus came into this world, the omniscient God who knows everything needed to know one more thing. He needed to know what we're going through. The omniscient God needed to know what you and I go through. So he came into this world. He took on our skin, flesh and blood, pain and suffering, so that he could know who we are. He needed to know what it felt like to be tired. He needed to know what it felt like to be drained at the end of your rope, exhausted. He needed to know what it felt like to be lonely and abandoned, to feel unloved. He needed to know what it felt like to be embarrassed and humiliated, laughed at and mocked. He needed to experience weakness. Why? So that when we feel weak, when we run up against our limitations, when we feel abandoned and alone, that we can have certainty right there that we can go to Jesus and he knows what we're going through. He will sit with us. He will share in that pain with us. He will identify with our suffering. If you've ever felt that God was emotionally distant or didn't care personally about you, Christmas says otherwise. Jesus came into the world so that he might know what you are going through, so that you can come to him and he would sit with you and be your friend forever. So how do we know that if we come to Jesus with all of that baggage, how do we know that he'll actually sit with us? Didn't I say Jesus is God and God is pure light and in him there is no darkness at all. How can we know with certainty that when we come with all of our baggage that he won't abandon us? Well, that leads me to my third point. Jesus came into the world so that we might know for certain that we will be God's people forever. 
our default and natural way of interacting with God and dealing with God works like a contract. I'm not saying this is how it should work, but I think this is how we default operate. It's a contract. Each party, we think, has agreed to certain terms and services. As long as we keep both of our sides of the account, then things work out just fine. This is a kind of agreement. It's transactional. We have transactional relationships all around us. Think of a landlord who writes up a lease and then the tenants sign it. And so each people have a, a side of the story. If the, if the tenant gives the rent and keeps up the house, then the landlord will let them live there and provide the services that the tenant needs. Or just think about going grocery shopping. We all need food, and grocery stores have food. And so you go there and you say, hey, I need a bag of chips. And Giant Eagle says, all right, that'll be $1.50. So I give Giant Eagle money, and they give me food that I need. But with transactional relations, because you always want the best deal. So if I learn that like Aldi is selling that same bag of chips for 79 cents, well, I'm going to start shopping at Aldi. See, transactional relationships work, but they can't be deep personal relationships. No parent in their right mind and heart would ever consider trading in their child for a newer and better model. You know, maybe we might be tempted to think that, but no, never. A relationship between a parent and child is a personal relationship, not a transactional relationship. Personal relationships aren't transactional. In the days when Jesus came into the world, however, most of the people viewed their relationship with God not as personal, but as transactional. Look, they, they were operating under the assumption that God had given them these rules, these, these commands. Think the Ten Commandments. They called it the law. And if they obeyed the law, then they thought that God would bless them. And they had good reason to think this way. Back in Exodus, at the very beginning of the law, God says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people forever. It makes sense that they operated under that assumption, transactional. I keep my side of the deal, God will keep his side of the deal. That's what Jesus' neighbors were operating under. And today we have a similar story, especially around Christmas time. We love to sing songs about this semi-divine being Santa who can travel the world and give out gifts to every little boy and little girl as long as they're nice. Right? We sing this song. Would you, would you finish this song for me? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's been transactional. Look, if you've been a nice kid, then Santa's going to give you presents. But if you've been a naughty kid, Santa's going to give you coal. That's what we teach our kids through those songs. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. I think a lot of people, even today, operate under this assumption with God. That God is sitting up in heaven with his binoculars, watching everything you do. And when he sees you be naughty and mess up, tick. But if he sees you do something good, good deed, volunteer work, service work, oh, tick on the good side. He's making a list. And so one day in this operation, we're going to stand before the pearly gates, and God's going to come out with his long list and say, 
all right, Jeremy, let's look at what you've done. And he pulls out that scale. And on one side of the scale, he puts all of my bad deeds. And on the other side, he puts all of my good deeds. And I'm just praying, hoping that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Because if, I, if I'm good enough, then I'll come in, right? But if I'm bad enough, well, then I'll go to the bad place. You know, I don't think any of us actually believes that, but I think deep down we do. That God is somewhat like Santa, keeping a record of our rights and our wrongs, and he'll either bless us or curse us. But friends, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus came into the world to give us the assurance that we will be blessed forever to give us the assurance that we will be God's people forever, that he will always be our friend that will sit with us, that he will always draw near to us and let us know who he is. And here's what that assurance is. There has been a new day dawning. Grace is here. Look at what John says. He says, the law came through Moses. This is in verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses, but there is a new era with Jesus. Grace has come. And what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor, unearned blessing, and undeserved gift. It means that the blessings that we are looking for through our obedience, that promise to be God's people forever, that is our gift. We receive it freely by grace through faith. Christmas is the only birthday celebration where rather than all of us bringing gifts to the one being celebrated, the one who is celebrated gives gifts to us. Jesus came into the world so that we might be God's people forever. Not because of anything we have done or could do, but wholly on what Jesus has done for us. And it's not as though those demands of obedience have gone away. The law is not ignored. Jesus came to fulfill the law. I said earlier that Jesus became man like us in every way, yet without sin. He was fully man and fully God. That means he perfectly obeyed the law. That means when you and I couldn't, he was obedient. He completely fulfilled what the Father demanded of us. And he merited for us all of those blessings. When we receive this wonderful gift by faith, not by works, then we stand before those gates and before those scales with all of our bad deeds wiped clean and the good deeds are weighed down with countless number of merits stamped each one with Jesus' name. He did everything for us and he credits that to us. So that standing before God, he looks at us and says, well done. Come in because of my son. This holiday season, we celebrate that Jesus has come into the world. And there's three reasons why he did that. The first was that so we might know him. Maybe you're a skeptic, and this whole Christmas story seems so far-fetched. But deeper than that, maybe you thought that this idea that there's a God out there who cares for you is just stupid. 
Or maybe you've asked, why should I care about knowing this God? Christmas is an invitation to come and see who God is, to come and hear his words, to come see his actions, and to come and receive him for who he is. He is gentle and compassionate, and he will welcome you to himself. He's waiting for you. But Christmas is also an invitation for those of you who maybe aren't skeptical but are hurting today, who are in suffering and pain. Christmas is an invitation to bring all of that to the cross because at the cross you will find Jesus who knows what you're going through. He has been hurt. He has suffered. He has been humiliated and he knows and will sit with you in that time. So come to him. Whether you're a Christian or not, Christmas is such a great time to remind ourselves that our standing before God is not on anything we could do, but wholly on the basis of Jesus' life and death in our place. This season is an invitation to come and remind yourself again of the greatest gift that the world has ever seen. Receive it by faith. Trust in him this holiday season. Rest on his finished work on your behalf and know that you in Christ are God's people forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve your grace. And yet you've come down into the world bringing light into the darkness. You sent your son so that we might know who you are and so that you might know who we are and everything that we're going through, Lord. And ultimately, Lord, you sent your son so that we could be with you forever. Let us not forget in the midst of the hustle and bustle this season, in the midst of the traveling and the visiting of neighbors and friends, Lord, what is the purpose and meaning behind all of this? It's that you have given us the greatest gift of all. Let us worship your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Every week in the season of 